Scripture for this morning is 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Follow along as I read in the ESV. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith, that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you, and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you, and has brought us the good news of your faith and love, and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been conformed about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see, your, see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Jerry and Richard, for participating with us this Sunday. If, if anything's off on my sermon, it's because I was transferring notes from one notebook to another, and I could not concentrate because I had to sing. So it's your, it's your fault if anything in the sermon. That's an exaggeration, but thank you for leading us this morning in worship. This passage is so interesting to me, and as I study it, I really want to go about four or five verses at a time, but I'm not going to because the purpose of looking at 1 Thessalonians in this season for us is to engage our vision as a church. So our mission is to equip people to love God and neighbor, and our vision is to do that through worship, community, and faithful presence. And so I'm looking at the, the scripture, and I am going verse by verse through it, but not as slowly as I would if we wanted to get everything we could glean out of 1 Thessalonians. And one of the things that's challenging to me about it is how it's so emotional, right? In verses 6 through 10, there are 10 U's, Y-O-U's, not cheap, but Paul talking to the Thessalonians about his great affection for them. It's such emotive language. And Paul is so clear that he wants to see them. Are we good? He's so clear that he's affectionate towards them. He's so clear that their time together, probably three or four months, uh, maybe, maybe two or three, three or four months that he spent with them, it's been about that many months since he's seen them. He sent Timothy to check on them because he was convinced that he couldn't go himself, though he really, 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 really wanted to. 
And Timothy gave a great report, but also had some uh, things that he's going to share with Paul that we'll hear more about in chapters 4 and 5. But if you were listening to Jeff read the text, and you're wondering, is this as emotional as I think it is? Yes. And in it, Paul's both describing that he feels alone, because he's either with just Silas or uh, is totally alone, and wishes that he could be with the Thessalonians because their hearts came alive to the gospel of Jesus. Some Jewish converts to Jesus, but more, uh, a larger number of Gentile converts. And he's so excited. And he has so much affection for them as an older brother in the faith that he wants to see them. And so he ends up talking about feeling alone. That he feels alone. And it's a reminder that we're not alone. The Holy Spirit knits us together as worshipers of the one true God. He sent Timothy to establish and exhort them. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker. What a title. Calls Timothy God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith. This is uh, one of my favorite things to get to do as a pastor is attempt to do the same thing that Paul did when he visited the Thessalonians and Silas also and Timothy. And then when he sent Timothy, he gets to do it again, which is to establish them and exhort them, which means encourage them. In all the ways that their worship of God is profound and good for their soul, in all the ways that their love for one another is profound and good for the soul, and in all the ways that they are faithfully present in this large, important city in the Roman Empire, Thessalonica, both speaking with people about the gospel, but also being faithfully present when people didn't want to hear about it. All these ways he's encouraged, and he's sent Timothy to continue to encourage them. And his letter is another way that he encouraged them. And then he mentions the tempter. What does the tempter tempt them to do? This is in, I'm jumping to verse 5. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would not be in vain. Sometimes when we talk about spiritual warfare, we can get uh, really spiritual because there are things about it that we understand from Christ and from the New Testament and from the Old Testament, and there are things about it we don't understand, and so we try really hard to understand it. And that can be a, a worthy endeavor. Here, we need to remember the most basic thing that the tempter wants, which is to distract us from worship and from community and from being faithfully present where we find ourselves. He does that through diversion. He does that through circumstances in our life, which Paul will talk about, affliction and suffering. He does that in all sorts of ways, but never forget the primary thing the tempter wants to tempt us to do is not worship the one true God. The second thing he wants us to avoid is the community of the saints of light. In my personal experience, that's where I see him doing the, uh, the most harm. Because uh, communities of Jesus harm one another because they're full of sinners. And then he wants to distract us. The third thing is from being faithfully present where we find ourselves. The Thessalonians in their city. For Paul, at the time of this, he, in Athens. You can read about that in Acts 17 and 18. For Timothy, it's going to be an itinerant preacher. That's what the tempter is attempting to tempt us to believe. That our worship doesn't actually matter that much. That community is not worth it. And that our faithful presence will never avail anything. Be it conversion or good and justice and shalom in the world. 
So Paul believes the Thessalonians, the Thessalonican Christians get that. And he's like, keep it up. And in writing this, he's reminding them because of the Holy Spirit and because of how the church works that they're not alone. And this is weird to preach to a camera. <laughs> but I read your comments on Facebook and they encourage me. Some of you write emails after sermons and I'm so encouraged because I have no idea if there are eight of you listening or 80. I mean, Facebook tells me some things, but I don't know. I, I trust them <laughs> not very much. I'll tell you some of the people that have encouraged me the most in the last seven years in the way that, I'm, that I think Paul is talking about with the Thessalonians and with Timothy. The former pastors of this, this church. That's John Hun, who was here in the 60s and the 70s, and that's Don Haas, who was here in the early 80s through the beginning of the 2000s. And um, John has texted me a couple of times, which is super exciting, because I believe he's over 90, and told me how I was able to encourage him in his watching of our services. Don and I end up talking about other things. Um, I like to go and take a picture of his tree. It's a beautiful maple just outside the back of Celebration Hall in different seasons and send them to him and we get to encourage each other. And the reason that's so profound is not because both of these men pastored so well for so long, but because I know they were in this place before me for the same reasons. Because the worship of God is powerful and good. And the community is really imperfect, but worth it. And being faithfully present is how God adds to his family through the Holy Spirit's power. And it's a command. I got an email last week from Alvin Padilla, who I uh, didn't know who he was fully. He told me a little bit about who he was. And then I read that he's vice president of strategic initiatives, director of advanced degrees, and professor of New Testament at Grand Rapids Seminary. He also married one of John Hunt's daughters. And I got nervous retroactively when I got the email from him because he's a theology professor. And I, I don't know if you understand this, but when a theology professor comments on a sermon, I just get nervous. I feel like I'm in seminary all over again and I'm getting a B minus. I got a couple of B minuses in detailed exegetical classes and I was nervous. But he wrote me to encourage me. But he was encouraged by my sermon a few weeks ago. Uh, Dane Ortland is another one. He preceded me uh, at Covenant Seminary in St. Louis. He worked for Crossway for a number of years, and now he's a pastor. He wrote a book last year that I'm planning to read this year called Gentle and Lowly about Jesus. I've heard a ton of people discuss how encouraged they were about it, and he married a Steele daughter. Remember Don and Ann Steele? And so we have a little bit in common because of the community of faith and how the Holy Spirit knits us together and encourages us that we're not alone. You know, I, I am increasingly annoyed at my cell phone. I watched The Social Dilemma, which talks about the AI in the cell phone, the artificial intelligence, and the algorithms, and how they want me to stay on my cell phone at all times. And that bothers me a little bit. But Christianly, what really bothers me about it is the reason I pick my phone up is I'm like, surely somebody has said something somewhere that'll make me feel less alone. And that's so shallow compared to what's available in Christian community. And, that's what <laughs> and the cell phone's amazing when I remember that I have control of it, not the other way around, <laughs> and exert that. Friends, we are not alone. God has given us not only his spirit, but also one another 
in this church for his glory and our good and to send us out into the world as a faithful presence. Paul then, in verses 6 through 10, gives the 10 U's, talking about uh, his time in Thessalonica, his time between seeing them, sending Timothy with the letter. I think it's wild that Timothy had to read Paul's letters. This one, pretty cool. Timothy read the Corinthian letter to the Corinthian church. Man, he was brave, and I'm so glad I'm not him. He says this, but now that Timothy has come to us from you, and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you're standing fast in the Lord. And if you think that's overstating it, the word live is not like we're okay. It's like fully alive. It's zoe life. Paul is using incredibly emotive and incredibly strong language so that the people of Thessalonica know how profoundly they are encouraging him, and hopefully he's encouraging them, in the faith. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Uh, that's a reference to their growth. It's, it's, uh, in chapters 4 and 5, we're going to find out what Paul believes was lacking in their faith, and it didn't discourage him. It's not like a bad check mark. It has nothing to do with their salvation. It has everything to do with their faith operating in the real world as they waited for Jesus to return. That's why the last verse in 1 Thessalonians 3 is about the end times, because the end times for a Christian always motivates them to love and worship and good deeds right now. Paul was very troubled. Perhaps the most exegetically surprising thing I found was the verse in verse 3 when he says that no one be moved by these afflictions. That's a very rare Greek word, especially, I think this is the only time it's used in the New Testament. In other Greek literature, it could refer to the nervous wagging of a tail of a dog. When uh, it's too cold to take my dog to the bus stop to get my 12-year-old off the bus, he shakes and wags his tail and farts and whines because he's afflicted, because he wants to be there when she gets off the bus. I know, that's a little bit of a stretch with the Greek, but other times this is used to describe nervous physical agitation of an animal. Paul's using incredibly emotive language to encourage and remind the Thessalonians of how profound their worship is, how profound their community is. And this is happening through their suffering. If you read Acts uh, 16 and 17, 15, 16 and 17? No, 16 and 17. You'll hear about how Paul was treated in Thessalonica and then in Berea and then in Athens and he was persecuted and therefore suffered and therefore the community suffered because they cared about one another and didn't get to spend as much time together as they wanted to. Paul's so encouraged by their growth even though these are probably four-month-old Christians. He's so encouraged and he wants them to be encouraged and he wants them to understand that they're going to suffer. And let me be clear that though persecution and suffering often overlap in the stories and teachings of the scripture, they are different. And this is one of my least favorite things to talk with you about, but scripturally it's one of the most important things that I teach you on because of the amount of times it comes up in the New Testament and the Old, frankly. You're going to suffer. 
And as a Christian, you're actually going to suffer more than you would if you were not a follower of Jesus. Not necessarily through persecution. I've spent energy in the past attempting to explain what suffering, as, what additional suffering is available to a Christian here. I don't want to get into that because I want to be super clear that you will suffer. Do I believe it's worth it? Yes. Times ten. But you're going to suffer. And Paul here is speaking prophetically. He doesn't use the word prophecy, but he's, he's prophetically telling them you're going to suffer as a Christian. That's part of the deal. I want to say it clearly. <laughs> this is where trying to find fresh, fresh language when you preach. You know, what do I preach? 45 Sundays out of 52 plus some special services. This comes up so often in the scriptures. I want to speak truth, which is the most, the primary role of prophecy is speaking truth. You're going to suffer additionally as a Christian. Is it worth it? Yes. Is it going to sting? Yeah. It's part of the Lord's plan for us to allow us to go through it. And that's part of the beauty of our worship. That's part of how our community is strengthened through suffering. And it's part of our faithful presence. And, and listen, 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 listen. You guys don't know me very well. That's my version of yelling, if I repeat myself. When you suffer... And I describe that as part of your um, glorifying of God and of neighbor. I'm not saying you need to be cheerful about it. Putting your hope in God is not always a cheerful experience. You can be full of Christian hope and not be able to muster a smile. You could be full of Christian hope and just finished cussing out God for what happened in your life. And, st and that's actually a move of profound faith. <laughs> Some of you are, are able to be cheerful in suffering. Others are not. Either way, the Holy Spirit allows us to go through that and utilizes it as part of the way we glorify God, part of the way our community continues to be knit together, and part of the way that we're faithfully present in the world around us. And you see in verse 8 that he says, For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. This is after talking about distress and affliction, and he's mentioned affliction before, at least four times mentioned affliction. And what is it, and then he says, in, is it verse 11, that no one be moved? Why can't I find it? Only 12 verses, why can't I find it? Oh well. When Paul says that no one be moved, there's, a, there's an indirect thing that we learn. Being in Christ stabilizes us as a human. This is all over the scriptures. This is the fruit of the Spirit, right? It's a tree. Psalm 1 describes the follower of God like a tree. The only alternative is dust. Paul's implying this. When we continue to stand fast in the faith, when we continue to worship God, in all the mundane ways, confession and song, when we continue to love one another, which is, I think, frankly, the biggest challenge of the Christian life. If our, if our vision is worship, community, and faithful presence, I think the most challenging one is community. If we continue to be faithfully present to our purpose as a follower of Jesus where we live, we are given 
to use Henry Nouwen's phrase, a stability of soul. That's why Paul both says, if you're standing fast in the Lord, and then he says that no one be moved. We're not alone, even in our suffering and worship. Friends, these little things that we do, prayers of healing, prayers of confession, um, prayers of the people, our call to worship, our reading of the scripture together, the songs, especially the sacraments, both observing baptism and receiving communion, these are incredibly profound kingdom moves. They're part of what knit us together. Uh, prior to coming to the barn, I was, uh, I was approached by several large churches. Um, and it, it was interesting because it was so flattering that they wanted me to apply and then none of them called me back after I applied. So then it was humbling, right? And this is what c- concerned me the most about going to a large church was how do we worship in such a way that we also know one another's stories. The work has got to be exponentially more difficult to help us all know one another's stories so that when we're singing alongside one another, it's that much more profound and good for our hearts. There it is in verse 8. I should have. For now we live if you're standing fast in the Lord. What does Paul mean? He means both literally standing fast next to one another in song and metaphorically standing fast and trusting the Holy Spirit to gather together these things, worship, community, faithful presence, because they glorify God, because they strengthen and encourage and help our neighbors, and they give us our purpose and joy. My chief concern whenever I see people arguing about politics or falling down kind of a a, a rabbit hole on the right or the left with respect to, you know, conspiracy theories and things like that, my chief concern is this. It's on both sides of the aisle, almost equally as far as I can tell. You have lost sight of your purpose as a follower of Jesus in this place and as, as someone who's called to be faithfully present where God has called you. I don't know how to encourage you more than this. You're called to a glorious purpose. And serving at the street church or Harvard City Mission or with Covenant to Care or with the food pantry is so much more glorious in the kingdom than those alternatives. And I know that doesn't feel like (laughs) a choice, but that's what it looks like to me. Worship and community and faithful presence are commanded. They're commanded by implication and directly all throughout the New Testament. Worship, community, and faithful presence are the kingdom purposes of our lives. The reason it's important to preach on this in in terms of a vision series is don't you want to abound in love? Don't you want to increase and abound in love? Verse 12. How? By leaning into the commands of Jesus and Paul and Peter and John and receiving for them the life that is available through them. They're commanded 
They have great kingdom purpose and they're given for our joy and they're interdependent. You can't have one without the other. You can't just come to corporate worship and then go be faithfully present. We also need you around here. These are the things that sanctify us. These are the things that grow us up. I believe you want to increase and abound in love and here's the truth. These small means of grace as we in our worst moments and the world would esteem them are actually profound, especially over time. When we sing and confess, when we go to a fire pit or a Zoom Bible study, when we remember to bring coffee or toilet paper for the food pantry, over time, the Holy Spirit draws these things together interdependently, first and foremost for His glory, second for the good of neighbor, and third for our own flourishing. So why am I saying worship community and faithful presence over and over and over? Because that's how you're going to flourish. That's how our church is going to flourish. That is what we're about. I love this in verse 12 of chapter 3. For one another and for all. You know what that means? That means for those of us here in the church and for every human that we come into contact with. We could take this and overthink it the way we do Philippians 4.13, like I could do anything, like I could fly or dunk because of Jesus. Or we could understand more profoundly that it's actually all the people you're going to interact with anyway. You don't need to go find all the people. They're already there. You don't need to try to do all the things. You need to try to do the things in front of you this Sunday and Monday. And then he jumps right into end time stuff. And you're like, so that he may establish, so Paul says, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father as the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Trusting the Holy Spirit to grow us up in these ways is an end times move. Rather than read another book or blog or watch another YouTube video about the end times, it's a far more Christian end times engagement to remember the toilet paper or the coffee for the food pantry or to go help out with Covenant to Care or to serve with our retreat team as we bring groups like Amira. One of their staff members spoke here last week. It looks far more like making a casserole than doing something big fast now for Jesus. It's in the scriptures a lot, you know, that we're supposed to love one another. I mean, if that looks repetitive to you, that's because it is. There it is from Jesus. There it is from Peter. There it is from John. There it is from Paul. The provision of God until Jesus returns is worship and one another and faithful presence. I was talking with um, a good friend this week, and he was all excited after the sermon last week by Michael DiStefano of Amira to build a house on our property, the church property. We have a lot of property. And maybe we should do that. But that's not what I want you to get out of these sermons. First of all, it took them 10 years 60 volunteers, 10 staff, and millions of dollars to rescue eight women. They've replicated that model after over 10 years a second time. Our role is actually to do the small things for them. 
And that's not the only thing. I know many of you are not excited about this part of our vision that includes the, re the retreat house. Do the food pantry. Do Covenant to Care. Tudor in Hartford, City Mission. Um, that's fine. But we do have this land and this property, and our elders are convinced that that's what it's for, is to invite groups like that here. And so before we build a new house, maybe we should not ever build a new house, I want you to cook at some point for one of these groups when they come and rest here. I know it's going to be a few months before this is able. It gives us time to get it all organized. Do you see how in Thessalonians these things overlap? Worship and community and faithful presence. Paul just assumes fully and states that they're interdependent parts of glorifying God, caring for and getting to know one another and loving our neighbors. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. It's in verse 11. He wants to worship with them and he wants to see them. Worship and community. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another. Worship leads to community and loving one another and to love for all. He's assuming that they're going to continue working <laughs> their jobs in Thessalonica alongside people that are not yet followers of Christ and sometimes silently as they work together or talking about other things and sometimes directly they're going to tell them about the with God life so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints you see how these things are interdependently connected that our church might glorify him, that our community might increasingly uh, reflect him, and that the greater community may know that Jesus is Lord and what that looks like. A food pantry never needs to scramble. We bring these rescue groups to the retreat house and we take good care of them so they might last. We continue to partner with local groups when and where we can by giving them money and praying for them and sending people there. I hope you find one spot in each of the three. That's my vision for the church, is that each of you find a role in our corporate worship, in community here, and in faithful presence in this area. Would you pray with me? Father, we trust you. Help us to trust you more profoundly. Jesus, we love and worship you. We are so thankful for you. We ask that you help us to trust you this day and this week. Holy Spirit, we know that you're with us. We ask that you help us to trust you. Amen.